What's up, everybody? I'm TJ. And I'm Kelsey. And we are the, the Nashville, Nashville Wine Duo. Duo. It's always good. <laughs> We're here. We're ready for another podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. We Not have a very fun guest on today. Our first food truck yeah. of Nashville. Mm-hmm. We're excited. Very excited. And it's seafood, so you love seafood. Obsessed with seafood. Obsessed. What's mm-hmm. your favorite seafood? Oh, my God. I like it all. I'm like, I love, I love crab. I love shrimp. We were just talking before this about how my dad, he's a fly fishing guide, so trout is like, when you have like fresh trout... It's just incredible. But that's what I love about seafood. It's very unique in like, you know, how like fish and everything from the sea, like depending on where it is, it takes up whatever environment it's in. Absolutely. Like all animals, I guess. But it's interesting how you can have the same fish, but different places, but whatever they're getting from the water and the nutrients, it tastes different. Drastically changed. Yeah. Mm. Um, But I I love it. All kinds. Okay. So I have to introduce that infamous voice that Uh you just heard. So we have a special guest, Carlin Perez. South Coast Seafood is our guest on this week's podcast, and uh, we're so happy to have you, man. Thank yeah. you so much for having yeah. me. Yeah. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, excited to, to do this. We yeah. want to know everything about the food truck world. Well, let's I've, first start out. Well, yes, okay. but I mean, I'm really intrigued. <laughs> At one point back in the day, we kind of talked about doing some kind of like oh, but food think- truck thing. And then as we started like investigating and like, we we're like, uh, no. this is a lot of money. This is- <laughs> it's not cheap. No, <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. Well, let's start no. out. Why don't you just tell us, yeah, your story, like your background and how you led up to today and having this food truck and what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So technically I was, I was born in Braithwaite, uh, Louisiana, which is southeast of New Orleans. Uh, it's about an hour southeast. Um, it's in Plaquemines Parish. If you look at a map of Louisiana, um, Louisiana looks like a boot, right? So we're the toe of that boot. If you look at a map, you'll see a, a thin strip of land on the southeast corner of Louisiana that runs out into the Gulf of Mexico. That whole strip of land is Plaquemines Parish. Um, the special thing about, about our parish is that it actually has more water than it does land. It has almost 70% water and 30% land. Um, so that's how how small um that community is down there and it's literally nothing but fishermen um and that's, what, it's black black plaquemines plaquemines yeah so there's actually a plaquemine louisiana which is by baton rouge uh-huh. and that's without an s and then okay. there's plaquemines which is the entire parish um and so parish being the same thing as like a county yeah. in anywhere else yeah um and so so yeah so we our our crawfish farm is on the east bank so if you if you follow the river down, there's the East Bank and the West Bank, and everything on both sides of the river is is everybody says up the road or down the road because there's only one road on both sides of the river. Um, that's how secluded it is. So wow. yeah, so if if you're somewhere and oh yeah, the gas station is up the road, you know that's that's how everybody refers to it as it's either up the road or down the road, um, and so. On the East Bank of Plaquemines um, is where our crawfish ponds are, and. Um, I grew up there went to school in New Orleans because, um, you know, there was, there's so few, many people. Plaquemines is so small. I mean, there's literally probably 500 people, 500 or less people in the entire parish. Wow. Um, it's tiny. Um, and so I went to school in New Orleans and then, um, we, my parents bought a house in New Orleans to be closer to, um, to the schooling system there. And then on weekends we would go down to, um, what we called Stella, um, and Stella was the place where our crawfish ponds are. And then, um, also, you know, just some, some marshland. It was kind of just, you know, kind of like a farmhouse that we would go play around at. And so every weekend that's where we would go. Um, 
And then uh, we only had, as a kid, we only had two crawfish ponds um, and we would harvest around three or 400 pounds a day, which sounds like a lot. That's like nothing um, compared to like a lot of the other bigger farms in central Louisiana. And so um, really as kids, it was more just for fun. Um, we would go catch crawfish. My dad, you know, would, we would sell them, um, but it was just so little that you didn't make a ton of money. But so our dad would pay us um, 10 cents by the pound for every pound of crawfish that we caught. And so he didn't have to run the traps. He would send us out and we loved it. You know, I mean, it was just fun. Um, and so, you know, we, we would go catch crawfish. He'd pay us 10 cents a pound. And then my brother, who's, who's older than I am, would run them up to the nearest fish market and, and sell them there. Um, and so, yeah. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, my early childhood, how it all started. And, you know, I mean, we, for the most part, we would always have, you know, an unlimited supply of crawfish for our family. So we would eat crawfish a lot, mm -hmm. um, at least three times a week, we would either be boiling crawfish and then anything we didn't, um, eat when we boiled them, we would peel and make etouffee or jambalaya or whatever, um, with, with the, you know, extra crawfish tails. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was the young, you know, the young childhood, I'd say probably before 12, 12 and under. Um, and then as we, we started kind of growing, um, we gained a reputation for having pretty good crawfish um, just because we were able to kind of let ponds rest where we weren't as busy. Whereas a lot of the larger farms, uh, they're constantly harvesting and, you know, every day. And so when I say we were small and at three or 400 pounds a day, these guys were harvesting 10 to 11,000 pounds a day. So oh, yours wow. was a better, better quality because you weren't doing that. As exactly. Much? Yeah. We weren't, we weren't just, uh, we weren't catching everything that we could catch and sell it, you know, where, where these guys, they're selling so much that they're just catching everything. Um, and so, you know, that, that allowed us to kind of get bigger crawfish, you know, um, we would let our ponds rest and, and we didn't pressure them, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something, it was just a side job. You know, it was never anything that was serious. So we could kind of let our ponds rest and say, hey, we can, you know, we can let them rest for three weeks and catch selects and then we'll make a little bit more money on mm. the selects rather than, you know, our regular field run and they'd be bigger, um, which, mm. you know, you, you can make anywhere between 25 to 50 cents more a pound on on those selects. Um, and so that's, you know, that that was where it all began. Um, and then from there, uh, we we kind of just kept doing that as a side job. And then there, uh, after hurricane Katrina, the federal government came in and built a flood wall around new Orleans, which saved new Orleans from getting flooded, um, which was great. But what it did was, is then it diverted all the water that would go into new Orleans onto us. And so, um, hurricane Isaac, which is a hurricane that nobody knows about, um, came in and, my dad intentionally bought that property because it was high ground and it had never flooded. Um, and then when hurricane Isaac came in, we had 15 feet of water in our house. Dang. Um, so yeah. because of the way they built that exactly. wall. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And, and the thing was the federal government, they're like, why are we going to build this wall that far down South? If there's only 400, 500 people there, you know, it wasn't worth the extra 70, $80 million of building that wall further down to only protect that many people. Um, and so it was devastating uh you know to say the least this was like our you know most people have their vacation homes being like a, a lake house or something like that it's your little happy place where you get away that was stella to us um it was our happy place where we got away from to go just you know be in the outdoors um so when that happened it was devastating we thought we were going to sell everything you know we thought it was over with um and the land down there is pretty much worthless you know it's basically just a bunch of marshland nobody's mm -hmm. nobody's really going to buy that um and then especially now with with that flood wall going up 
it was absolutely worthless because no one was going to buy and build a house down there, you know, because you knew that you were in a serious um, area that could be impacted by flooding. So after that happened, um, we we held on to it for a little while and we were waiting to hear if the parish was going to try to rebuild the back levees. Um, and so you have your front levees that run across the river. And then you have your back levees that basically keep the marsh water from coming in. And that is what flooded us in that in Hurricane Isaac. And so those levees needed to be built up and those are all built with dirt and clay. And so um, we had heard that maybe the state was going to come in and um, start building those back levees up. And we knew that they were going to need dirt for that. Um, and we had a lot of land. We had 1,500 acres, but again, I mean, it was all pretty much, you know, worthless land. And so we kept our fingers crossed. Sure enough, they ended up, you know, saying that they were going to do this project. And so we put in a bid and the property just happened to be directly, the, the levees just happened to be like literally directly behind our property. Wow. Like you could throw a rock and hit the levee from our property line. Um, and so we were saving them an astronomical amount in trucking fees. The biggest thing was clay deposits. You need a lot of clay deposits so the soil will stick and not fall apart when it gets wet. Um, and so that was the next big thing was we have to test the soil and find out if we have the right clay deposits. Um, that was a very stressful time. We had lots of people coming out and testing our soil, making sure we had um, the right clay deposits. And we were just fingers crossed the whole time. Sure enough, we had the right clay deposits and it was an absolute godsend for us. Wow. Um, and so what we did was, is, is we told the state like, Hey, you absolutely come in and take our dirt, but you're not just going to dig a big hole and leave us with this massive crater on our property, you know? Um, and this is all credit to my brother. He's an attorney. He's very, whatever business savvy. And he was like, Hey, you know, why don't you come in and, uh, and build us some crawfish ponds, you know? And, uh, why don't you make them all 15 acres a piece? And one is going to be higher than two and two is going to be higher than three so that everything we don't have to pay for pumps. Everything will run by gravity. Um, and it all worked out and we were saving them so much money. They were like, cool. Yeah. Sounds wow. good. You know, no problem. <laughs> like we didn't even have to twist their arm. It was awesome. Um, and so again, all, all credit to him. That was his, his mastermind project and it worked out great. And so we went from having two ponds that were maybe 15 acres, um, to having, you know, 22 ponds that are all now around 25 acres. And wow. so we went from harvesting three or 400 pounds a day to harvesting 4,000 pounds a day. Wow. Um, and, and all because of like this really bad thing mm -hmm. that ended up turning really yeah, good. Yeah. And it's, it's a great example of, you know, blessing in disguise. Yeah. You, know, you want to talk about like sad, like that was the lowest of the low when we went down after Hurricane Isaac and saw the devastation. I mean, we had mud probably two inches thick in the bottom floor of the house. And there was, there was blue crabs crawling in their house, dead fish, all kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Crawfish too. Um, and nobody comes to help you clean that up. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. We, we did it all ourselves. Um, I have two sisters as well. So we all put on what, what people call shrimping boots. They're just knee high white boots and, uh, and got in there with shovels and shoveled out all the mud and, um, and got it all cleaned up. I mean, it took almost two years to get everything, you know, pretty much back to normal, but we, we had a, uh, we had a citrus farm as well. And what not a lot of people think of when they think of flooding is that, uh, the amount of chemicals that are in the water. You know, everybody down there has, you know, whatever, let's say 409 or bleach or whatever in their house, you know, just sitting at the bottom floor underneath their sink. Well, all that stuff gets picked up and the bottles open and all that stuff gets in the water. And then when the water level drops, all that stuff ends up in the soil. Mm. So we had we had a lot of orange trees, which orange oranges was more of my dad's like side project. He just liked doing it. Um, 
very good soil, obviously being on the east bank of the Mississippi. Um, and so it killed all of our trees. Mm. It killed like 2,000 orange trees. Wow. And, and completely like there was no saving them. You couldn't save them. So we got tractors and popped them all up out of the ground. And then we were left with just this, this big open field. But um, again, you know, a great blessing in disguise. It was one of those things that, you know, just thankfully worked out. Wow. That's such a cool story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so then how do you go from, yeah, like then it was like, let's make this like a really big business, mm -hmm. right? Because now we have enough to kind of make yeah, this bigger. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the plan was never to move to Nashville um, and, and start something up here. It was more or less, um, honestly, the crime rate in New Orleans is what got me up here mm. um, in a short amount of time. I think it was like two years. I got held up a couple of times, three times total. Um, it was at gunpoint. Yeah, wow. gunpoint. And I was like, forget this. I'm out of here. Um, and so I first moved to Austin, Texas, thinking that maybe I'd like that. And it was all right. But I was like, well, let me go try. You know, I, I lived there for like two weeks, just stayed in a hotel. Um, and I was like, let me go try Nashville and moved to Nashville. And it only took me a week of staying in a hotel where I was like, I think this is, you know, the place where I want to be. And so I ended up getting an apartment. And again, like never thought about doing crawfish. Um, at that point, honestly, at, uh, I think I lived in Nashville for a year and I was craving some crawfish and I went to somebody and, and got some boiled and they, you know, weren't, weren't the greatest boiled in the world. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, like this is, and they had like a line around the block. I was like, Oh man, well, this is like, might be an opportunity. I was like, well, maybe they have good live, you know, and they just don't know how to boil. And so, um, I went and got live and like half the sack was dead and they still had a line around the block. And I was like, Oh man, this is just like, we, we can really do something here. Um, and so that's when I decided to start South coast. And, um, and the funny part is originally called swamp donkeys. Um, swamp, donkeys. swamp donkeys. Yeah. So in Louisiana, there, there's a reason for the name. So in Louisiana, when you catch like a big fish or, uh, whatever, anything, anything that's big out in the swamp, you call it a swamp donkey. If it's a really big red fish, man, look at the swamp donkey that I caught, you know, whatever. And so I was like, well, we have big crawfish. We'll call it swamp donkeys. And, uh, and so I started swamp donkeys as an LLC and, uh, I started doing boils for some of my friends and uh and then soon enough like people restaurants started calling us about crawfish and i was like man i, I think we need a little bit more professional name than swamp donkey <laughs> um so so i started the dba south coast seafood and and that's what we ended up working under was was south coast and then we started you know doing doing some business with restaurants um which really helped out and uh and so we decided to try and do, um, you know, some other seafood as well, since we were already driving back and forth anyway. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that, you know, um, the, you know, the white tablecloth restaurants in Nashville have great seafood. They do. Um, but the, the more mom and pop shops, you know, and I understand because like golf shrimp, they're expensive. You know, you're, you're paying for a guy to go out and on his boat that costs four hundred thousand dollars or whatever his trawler mm -hmm. and then paying for his hourly wage plus his gas to go out and sometimes they go out for a week at a time and live out on the boat and then come back in so golf shrimp are going to be significantly more expensive than imports um and and what i found is is basically you know smaller restaurants in nashville didn't want to pay the price for golf seafood which i understand um and so the whole wholesale side of things we basically were only successful with crawfish and which you know there's 
not a whole lot of crawfish that get eaten in Nashville. You know, it's not New Orleans where, um, where pretty much every restaurant is serving crawfish. You mm-hmm. know, up, up here, there's only a, a finite amount that, that do crawfish. So we had to find another way to, um, to, to make money off of, off of crawfish. And, uh, so we decided to, to start a food truck and the first year was, uh, was okay. It wasn't great by any means, but it was okay. And I think, you know, it just took a while for people to hear about us and hear our story and, um, and obviously test our quality. You know, it's, it's hard for, and I completely understand this. It's hard for people in Tennessee, especially Louisiana residents who moved to Tennessee to believe that you can get good crawfish in Tennessee. You know, I mean, totally makes sense. Um, and so it took, it took a while. It took about two years for us to really, um, get our name out there and for people to understand that we brought a great quality of crawfish, that we owned our own ponds, that, you know, we were taking them straight from our ponds and bringing them up here, which is huge, um, in the crawfish industry, because every time you move crawfish from one truck to another, which is usually done by hand, um, it, you get a 5% dead loss. Those craw- the crawfish are very, I mean, they're pretty resilient, um, mm-hmm. but they get stressed out easily and especially very weather dependent. So if you have a cold front, um, it will trigger the crawfish to molt and they molt because they're getting a thicker shell as a better insulator to you know protect them from the cold weather. And so when that happens, when they molt, they get soft shells um, and they, they basically get crushed very easily. And when you're talking about a bunch of 35 pound sacks all stacked on top of one another, um, you know, that, that can hurt your, your survival rates. Um, and so, you know, that, that's where we kind of, I think really, um, gained a lot of notoriety was for our live ratios. Um, and, and we, we obviously know a lot about crawfish and and we, like when our ponds were built, we dealt directly with Louisiana department of agriculture, um, and the LSU, um, department of agriculture, to they basically like guided us hey this is what you need to plant this is what you need to do with your crawfish in order to make them survive better to make them healthier plant rice they get a better food source all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so we learned a lot through them and so we knew like hey there was a cold front we don't want to stack sacks too high you know we're only going to stack them three high instead of seven high because they're going to crush easy and so that was you know that knowledge allowed us to keep our survival rates pretty high um and so you know that that's really where i think where we made a name for ourselves is our survival rates. And then with crawfish, that makes a huge difference, not just obviously when you're selling them live to another customer, but also how they taste. If you have half a sack of dead crawfish, and even if you pick out all the dead, the live ones are still going to taste a little fishy mm. because they've been sitting in there with all those, um, with all those dead crawfish. Yeah. So interesting. Mm-hmm. So at one point, what point did you decide like, okay, this, we're getting the truck. Like we're doing um, this. So I actually had a guy from New Orleans. He was a buddy of mine I went to high school with. And uh, and he moved up on a whim to Nashville. And he worked in the restaurant industry his entire life, um, straight, out of, straight out of high school. And so he moved up here and asked if he could live with me. I was like, yeah, sure. You know? And uh, he had all this restaurant experience. I knew nothing about running a restaurant, never wanted to run a restaurant. Um, and so he tried to get me to open a restaurant. I was like, absolutely not. Like I'm never doing that. Um, all not that it's bad, like mm-hmm. so much respect for the people right. that do it. It's just so much work right. that I'm like, I just can't, you know, I can't do it. Um, and so long story short, we, we talked about it and I was like, you know what, I think we can, you know, I think we can do this. We can, we can be successful with this. 
Um, and so I had him run the whole thing. Uh, and, and obviously I was there to help, you know, when we first started, um, but he ran the whole thing and then, um, he had to move back to new Orleans, unfortunately. And so when he moved back, everything got put on my shoulders and I was like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and so, but you know, I learned, um, you know, I learned through him and he taught me a lot. And, and by that time I had, you know, we had met people, the restaurants that bought our crawfish and I asked them for advice and all that kind of stuff. So, um. And then, yeah, and that, that was when we decided to actually move forward with it. And like I said, I mean, that was that was year one. And by year three, we had realized like, OK, this is this is going to be something that we could, you know, that's worth the work because crawfish boiling. I mean, it, it takes some work. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you have to wash the crawfish and, you know, I mean, it's all their little claws stick out. So when you're carrying the sacks, they'll scrape you up pretty good, like, <laughs> like really good, like draw blood. Um, wow. <laughs> and so it's, it's tough work and, and, you know, and obviously in, in the, you know, late spring, summertime, it's hot and you're out in the sun all day long, boiling crawfish next to a very hot pot. So, um, you burn a lot of calories, put it that way. Yeah. Um, and so and by the time you're done, you're ready to eat a bunch. Of exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we, we realized that the work was worth it. Um, and so, you know, I will say this year two, I almost gave up. Mm. Um, I almost sold the trailer. I have a buddy in uh in louisiana who runs a very successful catering company and he offered to buy me the trailer from me because i talked to him i was like man this is miserable like we're not mm. we're, we're not making much money mm -hmm. it's so much work but he's like all right i'll buy it from you you know no problem um because he needed one anyway for for his catering company and uh for whatever reason i have no idea why i was just like you know what like let's just give it one more year one more year and year three was when we really we really saw you know a growth and, and saw that it was worth it what year was that uh so i guess that would have been uh 2019. so what do you attribute to the change i think it was just pete word of mouth yeah you know word of mouth it's it's funny that um you know we reached out to so many different like the nashville scene and different magazines and again it's just like oh this random guy's reaching out to us about crawfish like we're not gonna you know do that story which i don't blame them you know like but we didn't have any kind of um, anybody pushing our name, anybody, you know, covering our story, telling our story or anything like that. So it was all word of mouth and basically people saying, Hey, you know, I got these crawfish from this guy and they're really good. That's and how we came about mm -hmm. you. Word we were, mouth. yeah, we were talking before we got on this, we met with a new friend, we had some wine and she was just talking about some of her favorite places to eat. And, and she was from Louisiana, she was from Louisiana. Yep. And I just mentioned how much I love seafood and she just mentioned y'all. And I was like, okay, we need to reach out because I find it, I, I have a really hard time, like what you're saying. I have a really hard time finding seafood where I'm not paying an arm and a leg to, for it to, in order for it to taste good. And obviously it's because of where we're located. We're in Tennessee. We're not by any kind of, you know, big right. amount of water that's Absolutely. not like dirty like the Cumberland River. Um, so it's hard to find fresh, good seafood. And when you are getting it, you're paying a lot of money. And um, that's always what I miss about when I, I go to Florida a lot or when I go to Michigan or yeah when I visit my dad in Colorado it's like it's just not accessible so I was like oh like this girl she's you can tell she's had you know I could trust her mm -hmm. opinion and when she said y'all were really good and I'm like oh and it's like a food truck like that's pretty cool you know and so that's why I was like we need to find out this story and obviously come to your food truck too. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, I've never had crawfish. I've had a lot of shrimp. 
But I, I work with a couple ladies um, at my at Trader Joe's. Actually, we have a lot of them from Louisiana. There's a lot of Louisiana people in Nashville. Yeah. There is. There is, yeah. thankfully. And yeah. they go on and on about the food from Louisiana. Mm. And my sister lived in Baton Rouge for a little while, but we never tried crawfish. When I went to visit her, it was a very short amount of time. But the people from Louisiana, like, I, I really feel like it is, like, you know, there's certain states – there, you know, there's things about states where like they're unique for that state. But when I meet people from Louisiana, it's a very, it's, it's a culture. It is a, a life. Proud it's culture. proud culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very proud from being from Louisiana and there's very unique things that you can only find in Louisiana. And from what you're saying, it's like the crawfish are very unique to this area of the South and it sounds like they're very temperamental. So if the, anybody were to try to do it in a different area, then it probably wouldn't work out because they wouldn't like the climate or the, the soil, whatever is going on there. So, like, they were meant to be in that area. And so, again, it's like a lot like wine. We talk about wine where it's called the tuar with wine. And wherever you grow, like, maybe cab grows in this area really, really, really well. Well, if you try to grow it, cab, in this other area, like here, it's not going to work out. And you're going to have to do so many things to make it work out. And even then, you're just never going to get a very good product. So, you know, when you go to a certain place – you get that where it's best, where it lives best, where it grows best, where it thrives, you will get the best product. So I think it's pretty cool that like, and you, we're not too far from there. It's not like you're making this travel for Mm. a very long period of time. So like, I just think it's really cool to hear you saying like, we're getting this product from where it's, it it thrives Mm -hmm. and it's not traveling too far and you know a lot about it. So like, that's why I think it's gotten, it's, successful as it has because it's, it's good <laughs> yeah so yeah 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 and i mean you hit the nail on the head there that you know like with as far as like doing because we had, we had thought about possibly like well, what could we do ponds up here like i don't know um and really it is it's the soil and the weather those, mm-hmm. those are the two biggest things it's such a rocky soil here that you can't it's it's hard to one dig a yeah. pond that big um you'll have to probably blast some rock and stuff like that but but two um with the weather it gets so cold that this crawfish are going to burrow too deep to where um basically they won't be able to find their way back up right um and so you know I've done a lot of research on crawfish up here. And did you know that y'all actually have a crawfish that's only native to Nashville? Or maybe not Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, it's called like the, I can't remember the exact name, but I think it's called like the Tennessee crawfish or Nashville crawfish or something like that. Um, But yeah, it's only only native to this area. Um, It looks like a similar to like a, what a white river crawfish would be. Um, and we do have white rivers in Louisiana, but another great example of like, you talk about quality and the difference in, you know, species. I forget there's there's several hundred different species of crawfish um but in louisiana white rivers red swamps those are your two main ones well in louisiana most people won't eat white rivers they don't enjoy them um they have a green what most people will call the fat which is actually something else it's like um i forget the exact name of it, but it's it's the liver of the crawfish it serves the same purpose um well white rivers have a green liver and uh and it has a very fishy taste to it Mm. where red swamps have an orange liver and it has a much sweeter flavor so Mm. something with the seafood industry is that it's it's very cutthroat unfortunately and it's also very um dishonest i guess you could say it's very Mm. easy to get away with being like oh this is gag grouper when it's like you know something else Mm. um and so same thing with shrimp like oh these are gulf shrimp when actually they're imported you know it's very easy to get away with these things so so there's a lot of people who do those things well one of the things with crawfish that people do um in louisiana like i said nobody will eat white rivers so sometimes they'll be separated put in sacks and then people that move crawfish out of state 
will come and buy only white rivers for pennies on the dollar and then sell them like they're real red mm. swamps. Um, and nobody knows the difference. You know, up here, nobody knows the difference. But if you were from Louisiana, you'd be able to tell. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of unfortunately shady things that go on in seafood, but it is, it is what it is. So one thing that I think people ask a lot if they're not familiar with crawfish like me, because I've talked to some of my Louisiana friends at work and everyone is like, what's the difference between crawfish and shrimp? Because mm -hmm. they think that they're kind of similar, but they don't look similar at all. So what's no. the difference in, I guess, the taste? and? So, I mean, shrimp, one, I mean, you're, you're a lot sweeter, um, okay. especially gulf shrimp, a lot sweeter. Um, and then, you know, with with crawfish, you know, the, the reality behind it is they live in the mud. Right. You know, they, they, they are. They, they live in the mud. And so when you boil them, if you were to just boil, like, obviously a shrimp in straight in straight fresh water, um, it would still have a savory, sweet flavor to it. You know, um, something that you could drink white wine with, obviously, that would that, that is, you know, it, it tastes good on its own. With crawfish, if you don't, if you just boil them and pull them out, and that's a mistake that a ton of people make. They just boil and pull them out. Okay. Right. A key to crawfish boiling is soaking them. You have to let them soak. You have to let them sink and soak up that juice. And that juice gets into the tail of and, and into the meat um, where if, if you're just boiling them and pulling them, they're not going to taste good. How long it's, do you let them soak? It all depends. Okay. It all depends. You know, a, a basic rule of thumb is 20 minutes. Um, oh, okay. And so, you know, and again, another thing is people will boil them for too long. Um, you know, the big thing with letting your crawfish soak is that they can overcook if the water is too hot. Um, and then they become mushy if they overcook, right? And so you have to, you know, a lot of people will boil like at a rolling boil for five minutes. It's way too long. You know, two minutes, I would say, is pretty on the money there um, at a rolling boil. You know, you have to drop them in, let that water get back to a rolling boil, let it boil for two minutes and then cut it off and let them soak. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a huge thing with, with crawfish. But um, yeah. And then you pull off the head. Uh-huh. That's and, right. And then you dip it in anything or you just well, eat it? Some, some people so it's it's funny this is a big thing in louisiana where people will argue so you have i-10 i-10 runs across like above new orleans or kind of right through new orleans um all the way to baton rouge all the way to lafayette and then past lafayette into texas well you have and i guess i'm a little biased because i'm south of i-10 but basically the rule of thumb is south of i-10 are the real cajuns those are the guys that grow they, they grew up in the marsh you know they grew up in places like plaquemines with more water than land um and and really it's it's mostly of um the people who lived off the fat of the land as my dad would say you know like i mean we we hunted we fished and when we caught this like that wasn't like something that we threw in the freezer and we're just like oh like we'll eat that and never eat like i mean we lived off that stuff um, wow. you know, I mean, it, it was very much, um, you know, our source of food growing up. That's what we did. Um, and so, you know, whereas in north of I-10, especially the west side of the state so is mostly north of I-10, west side of the state, west, west of Louisiana, um, or the west side of Louisiana is pretty much Texas, you know, and, and anywhere north of I-10. So these are the, these are the two big things. South of I-10, people believe in soaking their crawfish. They believe in not putting spice on the outside of their crawfish and then north of I-10. And it really is like a line drawn like it's like battle lines anywhere north of I-10. People believe in they might still soak their crawfish, but they believe in putting like the boil seasoning on the outside of their crawfish. That is absolutely sacrilegious to, to us. <laughs> um, 
you know, to us, it's like basically what you're doing is, is you're adding like cayenne to the outside of the crawfish where your lips are just going to burn, you know, like all right. get out and the meat it will still be bland. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure you get some mix of flavors and, and I hate to say anything bad about it. Cause like I've tried it and it was all right, you know, but, um, it's very much one of those things that's just, it's just the way it is. You know, people, people south of I-10 believe in soaking their crawfish and, and not putting stuff on the outside and people north just do. Um, you know. So then you don't dip it in anything. Well, so that's another thing is like another north of I-10 thing I would say is making like crawfish sauce, which is um, people make it in different ways, but it's pretty much like mayonnaise, ketchup, a little bit of Tony Sacheries or whatever kind of Cajun seasoning you like, um, some Worcester sauce. And uh, I think some people even add some soy sauce to it and mix that all up and and dip their crawfish in that um and so and yeah. you're not one for that not really um i think that if you if you know how to boil you don't need any sauce um you know it's kind of like it perfect example is like somebody that was a mic drop moment it's <laughs> just like if you know what you're doing <laughs> well it's it's one of those things very similar to like adding um like a one to steak to a good like i was just gonna primer. say it's like a steak yeah, or yeah. anything to trout yeah. i mean you don't need to add anything if to, it's done like, well you don't need to yeah. exactly yeah. exactly and some people you know just would prefer it and you know to some people that's absolutely sacrilegious mm -hmm. so you know mm. it just kind of is what it is yeah well let's i want to do i do want to talk about this wine but i do want to so i'm interested now because I wonder what wine does pair really good with crawfish. Maybe we or you said you talked to your night. sister. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, she's the she's the wine. Yeah, she's yeah. definitely the wine person of the family. So she said, um, any any white and in particular a rosé um, mm. also would would pair well, um, pretty mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, the thing with with crawfish is obviously they're spicy. Um, you know, so I would defer to y'all more on on what would go if there is a wine that goes with spicy food. But in general, that's what she said. I could totally see a rosé because rosé goes so well with so many things yeah and i could with the spicy like i mm. completely agree with her um and i was just looking it up and they actually say pinot noir because pinot noir is a very friendly i would say pinot noir or even a lambrusco mm -hmm. Beaujolais, alberino pinot grigio sauvignon blanc which is what we have today mm -hmm. champagne and rosé is also on the list um so i it's kind of nice because there's that's actually quite a quite a big selection of mm. wines yeah. That would go. Um, so today we have um, a Sauvignon Blanc that we're drinking. And you said you're not a big wine person, but. I, I, it's not that I don't. I like. I actually like it. Like, actually, I think I had a glass of, of Malbec, mm -hmm. uh, if that's the right pronunciation. Yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. um, last night. And so I do like wine. I yeah. just don't know a lot about it. Yeah. yeah. That's totally fine. Mm. That's what we, uh, we try to take a very unpretentious approach to wine. We kind of think like <laughs> wine can be for everybody and like right. you don't have to know a lot about it to like it. And you just like what you like and drink what you want to drink. Mm -hmm. And because um, there can be this a little bit of like snobbery that can kind of come with drinking wine. Mm -hmm. um, and we're all about like one of the things we've been saying since the beginning of starting the Nashville Wine Duo. I remember our first video we did we talked about, we compared wine to actually food. And we were like, you can go to a restaurant and pay like $200 for like this top notch meal. But then you can also go to like a food truck or a carnival and pay like 10 bucks for one of the best things you've ever eaten. And we feel like wine is really similar to that. So like you could spend a lot of money on a great bottle of wine, but we've had really great bottles of wine for 20 and under. Mm. So I think that people just like you can't put a price on high quality food. You shouldn't put a price on high high quality wine. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And that's just the way we feel. And we've, as we've been doing this, we have seen so many parallels between food and wine and they definitely, they go together, mm -hmm. you know, um, and how things are grown and made and the, and the effort you put into it. And, you know, um, 
it's a level of farming that you do too and taking care of the crawfish that you take care of. And, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into it before getting into this final stage where someone is then devouring it in five seconds and you're just like, wow, I spent hours of my life (laughs) and then it's just gone. Um, And that's a lot like wine. Um, We talked to a lot of winemakers and it's like, it's a dirty job and it's really hard and it's grueling and like no sleep and like, you know, all to make this product. And then it's enjoyed and, you know, and, but that's, I think, you know, I really think that's, I, for, for me, at least with crawfish, like that is the most enjoyable part Mm. of it all is watching people eat them and then come and tell us like, wow, those crawfish were amazing. Those are the best crawfish I've ever had. Like that is just the biggest compliment that I can receive because it validates Validates all the work you're doing. Validates all the work we put into it. Totally. Um, so we're having a Sauvignon Blanc. This is called Bell's Vignes. (laughs) It's a, it's a French, it's a French French Sauvignon Blanc. Um, it's from Trader Joe's. It's one of the, it's got a twist top on the top. It's kind of a green bottle. It's got like a little fancy label. Um, it's definitely one of our favorite French favorites from Trader Joe's. For the price, I want to say it used to be around six ninety nine, but since inflation, everything's gone up about two dollars, so it yeah. might be seven or eight ninety nine now. It's not bad at all. No, not bad at all. Um, you know, I'm being like, oh, you should buy this for six dollars. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I love I love this wine and it's got a lot of citrus. It's got like gooseberry notes with it. Um, very drinkable. What do you think? I love it. Yeah. Love it. Again, like you know the the flavor profiles. I'm not I'm not so good on, but mm-hmm. I like it. I'll tell you that. I think it would be great with seafood. I do too. I yeah. think it'd be really good with yeah, seafood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. What else do you guys do on the truck? Uh so you know we we've we're, we're we've gained such a reputation with bull crawfish. It's one of those things where it's like, it's not broke. Why fix it? Right. You know? um, every now and then for holidays, um, we did the craft brewers conference was pretty big for us and um, new heights brewing who we team up with, who allows us to set up the food truck there. Um, they asked us to work more hours and boil shrimp. So we did boil shrimp that week oh, okay. and they sold really well. So it's like, you know, why not? Let's maybe do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just, it, again, it's one of those things, you know, what, what not a lot of people, I guess, understand is like, it's not just the logistics of getting the crawfish up here, but it's keeping them alive. You know, while they're up here, I'm waking up every three hours to make sure that they stay wet. I'll just check on them. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, like babies. A, yes, I'm like a nervous mother. I'm like, are they okay? You know, every and, three hours. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's similar. Like, you know, I mean, I told y'all, I just, I just had a son seven yeah. months ago. And, and so, uh, you know, it's very similar to like, I'd wake up oh to check gosh. on him and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I, I, I would actually, when, he was still in kind of his not sleeping very well stage. I would wake up every three hours, check on the crawfish and then go check on him <laughs> or, or vice versa um, and make funny. sure everything was okay. Again, the temperature of the van, you know, you don't want it to get too cold. You don't want it to get too hot. Yeah. Um, you want to keep them in a dormant state. So they're not moving around. They're not stressing each other out, all that kind of stuff. And when they're cold, they pretty much just, um, you know, get, get comatose, but you don't want them too cold or else they're going to die. Mm. Um, and so you want them in that just right temperature where mm-hmm. they're going to stay comatose. They're not going to move a lot. They're not going to pinch at each other. Um, and then when they wait, when they warm up and it's all, it's funny cause I've been doing this for whatever, six years now. And every time I'm still scared when we pull the crawfish off and they're not moving a lot, I'm like, Oh God, Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and then as soon as they warm up, they they're come fine. right, they come right back to life. Yeah. Mm. They're fine. But we have customers say the same thing. They're like, they're not moving. I'm like, just give it 10 minutes. You know, and sure enough, you know, they'll text me and be like, oh, everything's fine. So people will buy them like from you. Like, Correct. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll buy them live from us. Um, and, and we do, you know, 
pretty much anything above 15 pounds. 15 pounds is our minimum just because it takes a lot of time to weigh out, you know, crawfish. If somebody wants five pounds and then you have a 35 pound sack, that's a lot of weighing, Yeah. you know? Um, so we ask people to, to order more than 15 pounds, but it's funny because in Louisiana, that's like, that doesn't even happen. Like no one orders less than a sack. Yeah. Right. Really? Just, yeah like yeah. You, you always just order a sack. Cause the cool thing about crawfish and I think it, you know, to incorporate, you know, the wine with it is that a crawfish boil is a social event. Mm. Um, it is 100% a social event. Well, you know, so when I was a kid, like everybody would have, um, you know, we'd have a group of, let's say 20 people and each week, another person would do the crawfish boil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'll do the crawfish boil this week. Next week, uh, Luke will do a crawfish boil. And the week after, you know, Nick will do a crawfish boil and, and everybody comes over and it's usually on Saturdays or Sundays. And, and yeah, you just sit around and you eat crawfish and it, it immediately strikes conversation. You know, mm -hmm. when you're sitting around a table doing it, what I would consider the old school way of pouring it all out on a table, everybody comes at once and just sits around and talks and eats crawfish, drinks wine, drinks beer, whatever. Um, and, and, and it, it's a, it's a social event, also a little bit of a party as well, obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when the crawfish are done, you cut up, you play whatever cornhole or, or whatever it is and, and have a good time. And it's very much obviously part of the New Orleans culture too. Right. So I was going to ask, like, you still eat a lot of crawfish, obviously. I do. Um, How was your wife taken to the crawfish? She, you know, being from, <laughs> being from St. Louis and again, you know, this is, this is funny because it's like people who have had crawfish from people who may not know all the little tools and tricks to boil and they, they don't like them, you know? And so that was one thing with my wife. I had to convince her to like, Hey, try these, you know, these are good. Oh, I don't know. They, you know, they, they creep me out or whatever. Finally she tried one. She was like, wow, these are, these are actually pretty good. You know, nice. I was like, ha ha, told you so. Um, <laughs> and so now she, she loves them. She loves them. Um, you know, she'll put down three or four pounds herself, which sounds, it sounds like a lot of crawfish, it's but really, not, yeah, when you think about it, yeah. like the, the meat weight, and that's what I was going to say about shrimp too. That's one big difference is shrimp has a lot more meat mm -hmm. weight. You know, a pound of shrimp will feed a person, whereas a pound of crawfish, like that's, that's nothing, you know, yeah. um, that's probably only two ounces of actual meat. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when are you going to give your son crawfish? Thinking about that, I've, I've, I've taken I've taken some boil mix that we have and and rubbed it on the inside of his lip. <laughs> he didn't he didn't like that very much. It was, it was a little spicy. Oh my um, gosh. But uh, but yeah, soon enough, soon enough. I think we'll wait until next season. Yeah. Um, just because he's so young, I think our you know especially with my wife, she's so afraid of him choking. Oh yeah. Um, and so that's you know that's our big concern there. So next year for sure. Yes. For sure. So is the food the national food truck uh, industry is it pretty competitive? not with crawfish um you're well just in general one. i mean like to find a spot or to find a place to kind of not, not that i've seen again. no that's I just, cool yeah i mean so so we're seasonal you know we only operate during crawfish season and so um, which is from when to when uh so crawfish season will in louisiana it'll start usually around january um sometimes even december and then run until it ends a little earlier in louisiana because as the season gets later on in june and july the crawfish get harder their, their shells get harder doing the molting thing that i was talking about mm -hmm. so just get their shells get harder and harder and harder and people don't like to eat them in louisiana mm. um so it starts later in tennessee and then ends later in tennessee too so people still want crawfish in june mm. and so we'll usually start super bowl weekend um which is whatever second third week of february and then we'll run most of the time till the second or third week of june Every year I say, I'm going to make it till July 4th. And, uh, usually we're, we're either burnt out by then mm -hmm. or the demand has dropped. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's not, it's just not worth, you know, doing all that. So you only got about a month and a half left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say, thankfully, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's, 
I tell everybody this, it's a sprint. It's not a marathon. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to understand. I mean, we, we put in easy hundred hour weeks every week Oh my God. Um, for, you know, for the entirety of crawfish season, whether it be wow. driving or figuring out numbers or catching or, you know, I mean, we, we put in so a then lot you of hours. get rest during the, I mean, off season. Yeah. Yeah. You so, do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, that's, that's like, you're almost working the entire time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, year, mm, just yeah. within a, that amount of period of time. Yeah. So pretty much from, you know, especially once we get the crawfish up, um, we're, we're up somewhere between three 30 and four o'clock in the morning and don't go to sleep until nine or 10. Um, and, and we get home and we go to sleep. It's not like you get home and you watch a show and dinner or whatever. Um, you're, you're done. Yeah. You're and like... it's very bad for your health. Cause like my wife's gotten on me cause I'm like eating a lot of fast food and stuff. Um, <laughs> just in between, you know, running and gunning and she's yeah. like, listen, you need to you start eating a little bit more healthier. I'll start packing you snacks. <laughs> or whatever. Um, how, so, of, how often are you running back to Louisiana to? So we, when we first started, um, I was doing all the driving and that was extremely rough. Um, and so basically we would, we would do the trip in one day. I'd drive down eight hours, pick up the crawfish, drive back. Um, and so 16, 17 hours of, yeah. of nonstop driving. If you hit traffic worse than that. Mm. Um, and so those, that was the first two years and that was, that was terrible. And that's, like I said, when we almost gave up, I was like, this, yeah. this, this just isn't worth, worth the work. Um, and then, uh, we started, you know, being able to hire a driver after our second year where we started making a little bit more, more money. And it was like, okay, like we can actually hire somebody, um, to drive them up for us. And so, um, you know, that, that was when we, when we started doing that and that made my life a lot easier, yeah, a lot easier. Yeah. And so he'll drive, he'll drive up once a week. Um, and, uh, we catch two days a week and drive one day a week. And so we'll usually catch on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, drive on Thursdays and then Friday and Saturday. And then thir- Thursdays, we also deliver to restaurants and then Friday and Saturday, we're doing our, our retail food truck. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you pretty much just sell out. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, it's, it's so hard to gauge. And this is something that people, again, don't understand with crawfish. You know, they get they get a little frustrated with us when, when we sell out. I'll never forget, like two years ago, we um, we op- it was our opening day for that season. And we sold out of, I think it was 600 pounds in like three minutes. Three minutes? Three minutes, yes. Like we had like four guys come and order like 50 pounds, 75 pounds, 100 pounds, all the boiled. Um, and so then some lady showed up at like whatever it was, I think we opened up at five, she showed up at five Oh three and we were sold out and she was furious. She's like, this is ridiculous and whatever. And it's like what, what wow. people don't understand with live crawfish, it's a living product. Mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, I think for some people, they kind of, um, can relate to it more. If I were to refer to it as like live lobster, mm-hmm. like if you don't use it, it's gone, you have to throw it away. So right. we have to be very careful on how much we bring up. And that's why a lot of people don't do crawfish because right. you can lose an astronomical amount of money very fast if you don't sell out. Right. And so that's why we started doing the website where you can order through the website, you know, in advance. So we at least have a rough guess. All right, we got to bring up 3000 pounds this week, you know, or 3,500 or whatever. And then of course we always bring a little extra, um, especially for our boiled, um, because people like to just come and sit down and, and eat, eat and eat the boiled, you know? Um, and so kind of our rule is, is like, as far as lot, as far as live crawfish goes, you have to order in advance, um, every week by Wednesday at noon. I think that, that's very fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's, and I, I get it with people cause they're like, oh, well it could rain and the weather's, you know, Friday, it could be bad. It could be good weather when nobody knows. And it's like, yeah, and it tells you that on Wednesday at noon and, and then you don't order and then people call and are like, it's like, sorry, man. I mean, I think if it's something that you really want, you're going to get it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's not like y'all are like on location in Louisiana with mm-hmm. the ponds behind you where you can just go, you know, exactly. like you're doing this, you know, 
remotely. Mm -hmm. So it, it just, it makes it very like, Hey, got to do what's best for us. Exactly. You yeah. know? And I think it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think people understand it. You know, you always have some customers who, um, you know, who, who I wouldn't say are difficult, but just get bummed out and they can't get crawfish. And I understand that. Yeah. You know, just, just like in is. business though, anytime you do something like a business is doing something for a reason, mm -hmm. like we've learned from this mistake. So now we have to do this exactly. to like save ourselves mm -hmm. or like, so it's, yeah, completely makes sense. Yeah. So where is the truck going to be next? Tell us your kind of yeah, itinerary. Your like, where do you usually out? hang out? So new Heights brewing, we like to just basically stay consistent every season. Um, and so this past season, New Heights Brewing reached out to us, said, hey, you know, we'd love to have you. And I said, great, you know, as long as you're okay with us being there every Friday and every Saturday, and that's that's the deal. You know, like we have to come every Friday and every Saturday because when you bounce around, then people, you know, whoa, where are you this week? And we're so busy. Like, I mean, on, on Fridays, my phone starts blowing up usually around four o'clock and it's literally call after call after call after call. And that's just people trying to find us at a location that we're at every single week and they still you know, whatever people, I, I get it. You just don't, whatever people don't pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, and so I guess maybe with the assumption that we're a food truck, they think that we move, even though we don't. Yeah. Um, so you're always so, at new Heights brewing. Mm, always, always at new Heights brewing, um, okay. for this season. Hopefully we'll, we'll be there next season. I haven't talked to new Heights about it. We haven't yeah. gotten into the intricacies of it necessarily. I know they mentioned that they would love to have us back, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see, I know where we're at right now. There's a development company thinking about building something. Um, cause it's, it's a really cool spot. We have a stage, sometimes live music. There's a big field, you know, out in the sun for people to sit at, um, lots of tables, those kinds of things. And so it's a great spot for us. The question is, is when is this development company going to come in and, and build some kind of little shopping center there? Right. Um, and then at that point we'll probably be forced to move. So have you heard which beer from new Heights goes well with your crawfish? Have people kind of talked about it? Um, I, I personally think um, it's called Nothing Fancy, and it's it's basically their version of a light beer. Um, I think light beers work great with crawfish um, as far as subduing the spiciness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people obviously who eat crawfish like spicy food, so they'll eat them. But then, you know, to subdue that spiciness, a nice light beer, not necessarily an IPA, even though that's what I love. Yeah. Um, I think the light beer is, is what works best, um, any kind of light beer to, okay. to pair with the crawfish, yeah. Nothing fancy from New Heights mm -hmm. with the crawfish. Yep. Gotta try it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been so fun to talk to. And I just gotta say, like, I I don't know. I feel like you're a very super humble person. And um, I just, yeah, I've loved your story. You. And I can tell you're just all about, like, family and tradition. And you work your butt off, clearly. Um, and I just... I'm a working person. TJ's a working person in this world. I'd say we're very like blue collar working type people. Um, and so we really, we take pride in, in work. And I think that when we meet people that are the same way that um, it's inspiring to meet people that um, work really hard for something that they feel is really important and they give their whole heart into it and, mm -hmm. and they're doing it the right way. They're doing it ethically right. They're mm -hmm. not lying. They're being truthful. Um, and they really care about um people so and people and the product and the product yeah. and i think you have you to know? care about both of those things yeah. in order to Go truly have hand. a successful mm. business yep so i just wish all the complete best for you and i can't wait Thank to try <laughs> i have one final question yeah okay 
you don't sound like you're from Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought the like, same thing. When you thing. said, like, I'm from Louisiana, I'm like, accent. where is this accent? Yeah. Like, is that the below I-10 thing? No, or what is no, this? it's not. Honestly, most people. So if you're if you're from Louisiana, you know where Chalmette is. You may not necessarily know where Braithwaite is just because it's that small. Um, but I went I went to high school in Chalmette. Um, all my friends, very, very thick accents. Mm -hmm. It's not so much of a central Louisiana accent, central Louisiana accent with like the rolling R's, mm -hmm. kind of like um, a lot of people watch Swamp People, Troy, like his accent. Uh -huh. It's not like that. The South Louisiana accent is, is almost, it sounds like kind of like New York, mm. very yatty. Um, so I, I actually went um, to school, high school in Kansas. Um, it was a boarding school. And that's when my my accent kind of like, kind of like started drifting away. Oh. The only time it'll come back is if I've been drinking pretty heavily. Um, <laughs> and, and I kind of, it just kind of like, just comes out naturally. So let's say, okay, so, say yeah, so let's, I'm going to say, let's, let's hear this accent. Uh, Can you do a, like so, a little yeah, improv? Yeah, absolutely. So like, uh, you know, um, so like, hey, what, what you at, baby? Like, it's just <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm trying to think of like what what phrases. A lot of people will say they hear it when I say New Orleans, New like Orleans. not yeah, like New Orleans, not no, not no. New Orleans, not New Orleans. I can hear you saying about the New York New Orleans. kind of thing, though. Yeah. thing, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so you know, and, and it's it's also I think it's kind of the culture of Chalmette has a very unique reputation in New Orleans. Um, so you have Uptown, you have Kenner, you have Metri, you have um, you know all these different locations. Well, Chalmette is known as being kind of like the fisherman's. I guess you could even say a little white trashy um, <laughs> town. You know, it's 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 uh, to the east of New Orleans, and it's right between where our crawfish farms are and New Orleans. Uh -huh. And so it was it was the closest place for me to get you know a pretty good education. And uh, and yeah, they they talk they talk extremely uh, different. I would definitely say like New York accent. Um, but even even then, like when I went to high school, people would make fun of me because they're like, "Dude, you don't really sound like you're from here." Oh, that's okay. you know what though. You've met Briar at work. Yeah. She has no accent. Mm. She's, from, She's Louisiana. from Louisiana. I think it's, it definitely depends on where you're from. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the uptown New Orleans people don't don't have accents at all. So I used to manage. I used to be in the music industry. He's from Chicago. Could and, you tell? Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, managed. Really right. no, but I managed a dude from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, mm -hmm. and I went to visit him. We did a show down in Baton Rouge, and um, <laughs> we went to the Bayou. To pick up something. This guy was doing like merchandise. Was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Picked up the, <laughs> met a dude named Baby Duck. Baby Duck. <laughs> baby Duck in the bayou. I could not understand a word, word Baby Duck said. Oh, yeah. It was this accent that... I've met someone, too, before. And but... it was so thick. And so... And I was just... In this, yeah, it's, it almost just, sounds like slang. I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will never forget it. It's, definitely, just... it's definitely got its own... You know, there's there's different words. Um, like one of my favorites, Buku. Like, you know, it's a, I think it's a French word for like a lot. Uh -huh. And we use in high school, like everybody said buku. Really? Like, oh, we got, we got buku shrimp out here. Like they just, <laughs> oh. like we're, we're catching buku crawfish, whatever. Yeah. Buku, everybody Okay, I'm going to say this at work tomorrow buku. and around the Louisiana people and yeah. see if they'll buku. laugh at me. Yeah, I bet. yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was funny. Oh, and then your name too. We have to make sure that people know how to pronounce it right. Because he says he gets it pronounced wrong all the time. Right. Yeah, every, every day. So, um, you know, a lot, it's usually with like emails and stuff when, you know, I'll be talking to a potential client like a wholesale client or whatever um you know my, my email um you know signature will be carlin you know perez and um 
a lot of people insert an O there and think Carolyn. Yeah. Uh, happens all the time. And it's, it's what it's actually, it's become kind of a joke. Like it's, it's funny to me. I'll go, I'll go walk in these meetings and they're expecting a Carolyn to show up and they, and they're thinking it's a not girl, a, not a Karen, a Carolyn. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll walk in and be like, hi, how's it going? My name's Carl. And you can see the, the, the look of shock on their face. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, hilarious. It's no problem at all. I'm very, I'm very used to it. It's, it's funny. So the, the only reason I have that name, I guess is, my father was Shallon, my mom is Lynn, and then oh. my brothers and sisters are Shallon, Kathleen, Sherry, Lynn. So like, I'm the youngest, I guess my parents were like, we're just gonna throw something together here that ends with Lynn and, and came out with Carlin. <laughs> wow, I like yeah. it. I've never met you with Carlin before. First time. Yeah, yeah I've, I'll say this, I've never met a guy named Carlin. I've met, <laughs> I've met several girls named Carlin. Oh, really? really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I like it. I actually dated a girl in high school whose last name was Carlin. Weird. Oh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of weird. So it's I was like, like Carlin and Carlin. Carlin yeah. and Carlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So tell people where they can find you on social media, all the, all the. So everything is South Coast Seafood TN. Yep. Um, and so uh, it's spelled out South Coast Seafood and then obviously the abbreviation for Tennessee. Yep. Um, that is our Instagram hashtag. That's our Facebook hashtag. Uh, our website, South Coast Seafood TN.com. So everything South Coast Seafood TN. Awesome. Mm hmm. Well, dude, it's been a pleasure having yeah, you absolutely. on. Thank so you so great. much for having me. All of our Louisiana people. We have a lot of Louisiana we do. followers. Yeah. I'm thinking of Bubba from. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah Bubba Bubba's D. from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah we, I, you know him? He's, oh, God, do I know him? So before like XM Radio and all these things, I mean, he was, he's been on the radio. Uh -huh. I don't even Forever. know how long. Forever. Um, but as a kid, I can remember in high school listening to him. And yep. like that yeah. was that was the big New Orleans country station. Right. Yeah. Bubba. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we yes, but know him very well. Yeah. Um, he, not personally, but yeah, know, but know of him very Louisiana. well. He is Louisiana. He's supposed to be on a podcast he someday is, so soon. Bubba, Bubba do talk this. To us about this. Yeah. We're having Louisiana people on <laughs> yeah. here. Uh -huh. So, but definitely thank you, dude, for being Absolutely. on the podcast. Check out South Coast Seafood. And follow them and cheers. Try the crawfish. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>